think when you see a yogi, then you know what yoga is. So just meeting this man, uh, to see him, that's all. Because <laughs> then you, you see yoga, you know. You see the pranas of life, the nurturing nature of reality uh, existing in that body, you know, in that embodiment. So I think just to see him, you know what yoga is. And then certainly to see him in asana, and he did this great service of, he was so passionate about yoga education in the world. You know, this a task given to him by his teacher in Tibet, you know, Rama Mohan Brahmachari is like, now you go to South India and you bring this yoga to the world. So he, for example, he photographed himself in a time where photography was a big deal, you know, to take a photo of somebody <laughs> in those old days in a studio and film and development and all that problem. Not like today, but so he was, I call him our first Instagram yogi and in that he showed asana, documented asana by him doing it and to see him in his asana and pranayamas, etc. was very um, informative. But most of all, just seeing him as a person, that's to just know such a person, to be in relationship with such a person uh, is yoga. So they say the first principle of yoga transmission is the relationship with a person, you know, student teacher, and that's it, just the relationship itself. It's the very, uh, it's the basis of yoga. It's the principal means of yoga. And it is the, even the purpose of yoga is to be in relationship and in intimacy with life. So I certainly felt that with him. Uh, Krishnamacharya, the grandfather of modern day yoga. Krishnamacharya, the teacher of Mr. Iyengar and um, and Patabi Joyce, and Indra Devi, and his own son Desikachar. So definitely, we know him as the teacher of our teachers. But curiously, uh, what he taught is hasn't been very available in the popularization of yoga for that reasons we can go into why that's the case. So I met him and I knew him and I knew him since 1973 for many years until he died in 1989. And um, it was a very um, important relationship in life for me to know this gentleman. And I'm very happy to have the opportunity and thank you for giving me the opportunity to pass this on to people. That is the principles of the great tradition that Krishnamacharya brought forth in his scholarship and in his own yogic body, you know, in his own life, in his family life, you know, what he demonstrated as a life was, uh, was in education. It's a profound and important teaching that hasn't necessarily gone through into the mainstream of public understanding of uh, spiritual and religious life. But 
the Acharya of Krishnamacharya, Ramanuja Acharya, this 10th century, he was the second great uh, Vedanta Acharya. There's only three. So there's Adi Shankar, the first Shankaracharya, and then Ramanuja Acharya, 10th century. And he was, um, he basically pronounced that, well, you know, this is like a saint, it's a Buddha, a Jesus Christ, you know, an incarnate uh, avataric uh, function. This uh, second 10th century Acharya, and he said, pronounced, for the non-dual state of Advaita, not two, to be in, at one with reality itself, to be not separate from God, yoga is required. And this was like <laughs> a shocking pronouncement. <laughs> and so Krishnamacharya's work is based on that, uh, his guru, Ramanuja. And uh, as well as that, the, that family life is required for the realization of the non-dual state. And that is male-female polarity, you know, the perfect cooperation uh, of male and female as equals and opposites uh, in the intrinsic harmony and power and nurturing force that is life, is the male-female intrinsic union. See, And he was saying basically this is necessary to realize God to realize the non-dual state. So Krishnamacharya certainly demonstrated that in his life and taught that. However, it's a little obscure because still even in his own culture of Advaita Vedanta in India, um, the idea of renunciation of celibacy is still glamorized as some sort of superior condition. And the small voice of Ramanuja saying, no, that you're going down the wrong tree, you know, going up the wrong ladder, whatever, um, that we have to work this out, the union of opposites in our own system within strength receiving within and without male-female collaboration as equals and opposites, where one pole empowers the other, is a requirement for the realization of the one. So Ramanuja and Krishnamacharya are saying it is yoga that joins the two to become one. There, there must be this yoga. So the mind is confused about the two, assuming two. The mind assumes two. Yoga brings the two to become one. And that, of course, includes male-female collaboration, which is, in a, of course, a dreadful state in this world. You know, it is our... I, I see it as the central, uh, you know, political human problem. Of course, male and female are equals and opposites. In perfect intrinsic harmony with each other, that is life. That is the power of life. That is the nurturing force of life. All reality is that. Everything is appearing as that. All flowers, all trees, all, all atoms, <laughs> positive, negative, functioning, you know. So uh, yoga is the correction of that. The yoga gives us each the ability 
who start participating in this perfect union of opposites that has been removed from our social behaviours by the insanity of celibacy being glamorized as a superior state, you know. In India and in Christianity, you know, it's universal and it's created this dreadful, you know, valid outrage that um, it, that is necessary to address the situation. And men are in pain because they've been denied the feminine, their birthright to receive, you know. So yoga is all about changing this nervous system, this brain core and the frontal line of the body to become a, the receptive mechanism that it is designed by Mother Nature to be. <laughs> For us to receive our experience, to receive the feminine, not get our experience, acquire, hold, own, you know, the, how we humanity's been brainwashed by that patriarchal imposition of trying to get somewhere as if you're not somewhere, as if you're not already the perfect wonder of reality itself, which we all are, of course. Everybody. I, I like to say, is anyone not the power of the cosmos here? We, we assume we are. We, we assume we are not, you know. And that you have to go on this mad patriarchal linear spiritual process to get to a future result, you know, and s sometimes that involves ideas of uh, renunciation, of celibacy, of no polarity, no receptivity of the feminine. And then coming out of that has been the extreme opposite with the exaggerate, you either give up sex or you have a lot of exaggerated sex, you know, in the pornography of the neo-tantra ideas, you know, that have become proliferated around the world and among young people. And that's, of course, that's not it either. Yeah. Male-female polarity, sex, is to be real, honest, the clear intention between two actual people who like each other, who love each other, who lust for each other, you know, those those three L's um, must be there in a spiritual life, you know, and engage that and learn how to engage that. Hatha yoga, strength receiving, you know, an actual yoga practice. As Brahmanuja said, yoga is a requirement <laughs> to realize the non-dual state that the troubled mind cannot realize through any methodology whatsoever except by the embrace of life itself you know and the embrace of the opposites the receptivity of male to female and female to male Yeah, that always must be said that yeah, we are all male-female. So whether it's same-sex intimacy or opposite-sex intimacy or any gender uh, identification or any sexual uh, interest or preference, of course, it is a male-female intrinsic harmony, you know, that whatever the arrangement is. And this, is, this uh, capability is brought forth and through a yoga practice.
<laughs> Isn't it terrible that we even have to make that statement? Right. Right. How did that happen to humanity? It's been turned into something that's either casual or vulgar. Something to be ashamed of at worst, you know. And this is why it comes out as an illness in all societies, you know, as abuse. The male abuse of the feminine. The male denied of the feminine. And all, all he's ever taught to do is to get it through force. So it comes out as an illness and it's terrible. It's a terror on humanity. Well, quite, you know, I say God and sex are one. You know, desire is God's method on earth. It is life's method to assure that we procreate and evolve the species. It's the greatest power that there is. Well, there's breath, which is a great... You stop trying to breathe for five minutes and see what happens to your breath. It comes out as a gasp. It comes out desperately. And that's what happens to sex if you deprive the population. So I'm all for no longer depriving humanity of this great power, this great beauty, this great intelligence that is the intrinsic harmony of male and female. And we must engage that and we must become entirely positive about our sex, about desire. You know, my, my teacher used to say the worst desire is the desire for desirelessness. This has crippled humanity and cripples individuals. It's not even possible. We must know what our real desires are and feel free to move on them lawfully. Like, I said, like um, real and honest human actual interchange, colloquy, kindness, whole body, love, intimacy with somebody who you like, who you love, who you lust. And lust must be given a very honorable and utterly positive place in your life. Now, I'm not talking about the exaggerations of, you know, so-called spiritual tantra, which I consider to be a sort of a, you know, spiritual pornography. It's the other side. It's an outbreak of once sex is suppressed, then it comes out as an exaggeration. I'm not talking about any exaggeration. I'm not talking about this um, patriarchal tantra of, you know, using somebody's body to go beyond the body to awaken subtle energies and so forth. That's another form of patriarchy. It's another form of abuse. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you, you love somebody by name and form and energy, and you cannot tell the difference between that person and reality itself. You can't tell the difference between that person and God. It is one thing happening. There's no requirement to manipulate the pranas to try to get somewhere else or get beyond the body or get into the crown or beyond the crown. That's all uh, it's come out of uh, male uh, power structure. The patriarchy of abuse. You know, it's not yoga. It's a very naive 
early attempt by Western mind to try to sort out the denial of life that everybody's suffered. No, there must be an actual yoga, you know, <laughs> an actual Hatha yoga. And in all my studies in India and everywhere else, you know, I found that um, there was Krishnamacharya who made it very clear uh, what yoga is, you know, what Hatha yoga is, the non-dual tantra of direct intimacy with reality itself that is a nurturing force. And that's what yoga is. Now, he didn't exactly use that language or my language, but I was with him and I now use my own language to describe what I got from him. I mean, he was an early pioneer in this, you know, and he appeared in um, Orthodox Brahmin society and a dreadful misogynist society of the denial of the feminine. And he did his best to bring actual yoga through in the way that he could and describe it um, in his own clear scholarly terms. And he did his best to um, bring women into their own empowerment by giving them yoga um, and giving them uh, the spiritual education that was other, otherwise denied by orthodox Hinduism. And he really you know, brought it through. So he did his best in his own time. But I say now I, we gather that up and continue that process of educating the world, all men, all women, on how to be intimate with reality itself. <laughs> Ramanuja stated, yoga is necessary to realize the non-dual state. You know, you cannot realize it by denying tangible conditions. Uh, all tangible conditions must be embraced as life itself, as intimacy, including, of course, male-female collaboration. He said that the saints and sages of humanity would be appearing in family life. So I take that to heart, and Krishnamacharya certainly took it to heart in a beautiful uh, family that he had, his wife, uh, Namagiriyama, and their children. And he described his wife as his backbone. So there you go. <laughs> So thank you for these beautiful questions and letting me talk about this for a moment, Eric. I appreciate it very much. What we teach is the Tantra. We teach the, the real uh, understanding of yoga and the practical application of yoga as it came through Krishnamacharya. Uh, the great scholarship, he lived to 101 years old, died in 1989. And we teach what he brought forth from the great tradition. It wasn't his own. It was his scholarship. And um, somehow in the modern day yoga world, uh, the principles that he brought forth are not there. They're not shared. And there's reasons for that. His principal students, his young students, ran away early and just had a few years with him in their teenage years. And after that, they had to... Uh, work it out for themselves what they were teaching. So it got dissociated from the great tradition. So now we put it back in and we make it tangibly available for every person, you know, so they can go uh, and practice it for themselves, uh, realize 
polarity in life and act on the three L's and go and teach that in this world, wherever they're from. And that's what I want to see happen, is this going into the world and being, oh, I want to see real yoga teachers in every village, every town, many in every city, <laughs> all over this world. And it's time we did that. I consider it the hope of humanity, what we hold here. And I think yoga is the most precious thing that humanity has created. You know, it was there before humanity invented patriarchy, frankly, before um, spiritual ideas or spiritual poetry was used as an instrument of power, you know, creating the idea of special access to truth, to God, um, through the special agency that you had to become participant and obedient to in whatever arbitrary disciplines or, you know, spiritual teachings were given. Prior to that hoax, there was yoga for thousands of years, which was each and every ordinary person. I mean, it was folk activity, human activity, egalitarian society, non-hierarchical. Uh, the, the ordinary man and woman had this beauty that evolved through human life for thousands of years. That was the way ordinary people empowered their life, uh, how they embraced the pure intelligence that is life itself and the unspeakable beauty that is life itself and the intrinsic harmony that is life that we are already in <laughs> so it had nothing to do with power structure and exclusive access this is a pure hoax on humanity taking the individual's life away from the individual you know, denying the individual denying sex, denying the feminine, denying the masculine <laughs> for the power structure, for the service to the hierarchy, you know, the chain of being, the guy on the top. <laughs> it was all just a way to channel wealth to that, up that pyramid. And that's created uh, spiritual information. That's the way we think of it. And the whole thing is needs to be understood yeah and that each person can be a yogi and thank you so much appreciate your inquiry very much